Well, if you have a Bible, turn with me to John chapter 13. And I want to read uh, a portion of the chapter for us. And then uh, today we take a break from our counterculture series to talk about another one of our practices. So John chapter 13, we're going to begin in verse 12 and read through verse 17. When he, this is Jesus, had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set for you an example that you should do as I have done. Very truly, I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. So again, the, the last three Sundays, we've been considering what it means to be countercultural, remembering our identity as people who are set apart. Jesus followers, we are holy, we are set apart, we are different from the ways of the world. We've spent a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 2, this, this letter that's written by a guy named Paul to this young, small church in this large influential city called Ephesus. And what Paul is doing in that chapter and really in the whole letter is encouraging them, reminding them, encouraging us, reminding us, you have a purpose. You have a mission. Your difference, your distinctness matters. When we live from this different place, and we looked at this from different angles, right? When we live from resurrection, from life, not death. When we live as a community of peace, overcoming divisions. When we live as beloved, worthy children of God, that is an entirely different place to operate from than, again, this <clears throat> phrase that Paul uses, the ways of the world, Ephesians 2.2. 2. Our identity, who we are, points to a different way, tells a different story, a better story. So this identity formation, right? This firing of our holy imagination is so important, but it is also very important to put flesh and blood to that story, action to that imagination. Now we've talked about this before. This is a tension that we've named at different times, but at Discovery, we want to hold the tension between what we might call the monastery and the mission. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, the monastery represents our need to withdraw, to disconnect from those ways of the world. This is our need for things like Sabbath and solitude. And some of us, we're, we're kind of naturally wired this way. We trend this way. We love prayer and contemplation, silence, the beauty of of stillness, disconnecting from the world in order to connect with God. And this is a good thing. Now the mission, maybe the other side of this tension, it represents our, our need to engage, right? To, to do stuff. Our need to accomplish something, to quote Steve Jobs, to make a dent in the universe. We want to roll up our sleeves and get things done. And again, this is good. This is a very important impulse. So we need both. We need the monastery and the mission. Individually, we need both. And then communally, we need both. 
And this brings us to our, our conversation this morning. We, we've been uh, visiting over the course of the year a number of different practices or spiritual disciplines. This is one of our core convictions as a church, that we are to not just think about the things that Jesus talked about, the life that he invites us into. We are actually to practice the ways of Jesus. One of our core commitments as a church is to practice the ways of Jesus, not just to think about the ways of Jesus or to learn more about them, but to actually live them. And this comes from Jesus' own words. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus says, and puts them into practice is like a wise person who built their house on the rock. Again, core to who we are as a church is practicing the ways of Jesus. Now, some of these practices are about withdrawal. Again, disconnecting, disengaging from the world that forms us and shapes us. Practices like Sabbath and solitude and fasting. And then some of our practices are about engagement. Practices that lead us to meet deep needs in the world with love and peace and the hope of this resurrection. These are practices like prayer and encouragement, and then today's practice that we're considering, what we are calling outreach. Now, some people call this practice or this spiritual discipline service, and as we make our way through this, I'm going to use these terms interchangeably, but if you're one of those people who like to know the official terminology, the official word here for us at Discovery is outreach. Now, outreach and service are two words that may have some negative connotations. You may have some baggage with them, depending on your experience. Perhaps you hear a word like outreach and you think about uh, like a street preacher type person. In fact, there's, there's a guy who's been out here on the corner by Mishka's for the past several weeks who's informed me several times about my impending eternal damnation. And I think when we hear the word outreach and we have that kind of connotation, we go, ooh, I don't want to be that person. Or maybe you hear the word service and you think about community service or doing hours that you needed to do, you know, as a high school student or something like that. You think about those those projects that felt kind of futile. Uh, you Maybe you painted over something and then two days later it got ruined. Whatever those might be, I hope this morning that we're able to redeem these words for us a little bit. Outreach and service because they're good words. And they have rich meanings for us. I mean, just think about that word outreach for a moment, the, the picture of reaching out. Right? It speaks to our ability to notice and to see, to be aware of the needs around us, and then our ability to respond to those needs in love and care, reaching out. This also connects... Uh, very directly to our vision as a church. We want to be a bridge-building church. We see ourselves as sent ones. This is what the word apostle that you'll see sometimes in the New Testament, it literally means sent ones. We are sent to share the good news of Jesus with others. Not expecting people to just come to us, but seeing ourselves as people who go, who go together to share the good news. Now, there's a fundamental theological conviction at work here. And it's the belief that God is already at work in every aspect of our world. Jesus said it this way. This is earlier in the Gospel of John. He says, My Father is always at His work to this very day, and I too 
am working, our outreach, our service. It is not about showing up triumphalistically saying, all right, God, we're here now. You can finally do something. No, our outreach is about joining what God is already doing and helping people see, helping people discover, oh, God is already at work in this place, in our midst. This is what Scripture shows to be true, and it's also a reality that should keep us humble in our service to others. This truth that God doesn't need us to show up for something to happen. But God, in His great love, invites us to be part of the process, to be part of His mission, to be part of His purposes in the world. Think about that for a minute. Kind of crazy, right, that the God of the universe would want and seek our partnership. That this God who has this plan of redemption and salvation and restoration wants to work with us to bring about peace and shalom to his broken creation. When we think about it this way, I think there's a a great freedom and even lightness to this, right? It kind of releases us from the burden of service. We don't serve to please God. We get to serve with God, and that's a pretty significant difference if you really think about it. The other gift of service is that as we do this, as we reach out, this process transforms us. We start to see things, notice things, approach the world from a different place. Richard Foster, who has written extensively on the practices, says it this way, Of all the spiritual disciplines, service, outreach, is the most conducive to the growth of the grace of humility within us. This is good news indeed, for we all know that humility is not one of those things that comes to us by trying. No, we must come at this most prized virtue through the indirect route of routine acts of service. Now this brings us to that that passage that we just read a moment ago from John 13. This amazing scene where Jesus washes his disciples' feet. Now, feet washing in those days, this was, this was a gross job. It, it was not a glamorous thing to do. It, it was not the task that you wanted to get stuck doing. And in a rabbi-disciple dynamic like these, these guys were in, none of them would have had to do this. Right? This was not a requirement for anybody in the room. This would have been the job of a servant. This was like that brutal intern assignment that... Uh, you know, you kind of give to the lowest person on the totem pole there. But Jesus here is the one who takes it on. Jesus knew that his time was coming to an end. Look at verse 1. He knows that his time is coming to an end. And as the writer John says, Jesus loved his disciples to the end. This is a moment that is entirely in keeping with Jesus's character, the the way that he behaves all through the gospel accounts of his life in a moment that could have been, that should have been all about him. Like, hey guys, I'm about to do this amazing thing, save the world by dying on a cross. Jesus doesn't make it about himself at all. He makes it about his disciples. He demonstrates his love for them all over again. I think this is maybe one of the hardest truths about this practice, right? We serve 
and then there's just another opportunity to serve. We reach out and then we keep on reaching out. And certainly, we have our human limits and there's a point at which we, we can't do everything, right? But there's no end to the opportunities to serve. And Jesus himself models this, leads us into this. Now, in this scene here in, in chapter 13 of John, Jesus comes to Peter and of course, Peter thinks this whole thing is ridiculous, right? And he refuses to let Jesus wash his feet. But then Jesus says this amazing thing, unless I do this, you aren't really with me. So then Peter says, okay, then we'll wash all of me, right? This is classic Peter going to the extremes. But there's a very important truth here that we can't miss. We need Jesus to wash us. Not, not just our feet. We need Jesus to wash all of us, right? The deepest parts of us. This is very metaphorical. Peter needs this grace. We need this grace to wash over us, to cleanse us. So there, there's a, a very rich theological thing going on here as Jesus does this act of service, washes his disciples' feet, reminds them of their need for him to cleanse them. But there's also a very practical significance to this act as well, and I don't want us to miss this. That, that Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, actually does this. Actually takes off his robe, gets down on his knees, and washes gross, disgusting feet. And then asks us to follow his example, to serve each other in this way. He says, and if we do this, he says, you will be blessed. We are countercultural when we serve, but we're also countercultural in the way that we serve. And this is where this, again, becomes not just a, a thing for us to do, but this really does become a practice, a spiritual discipline. Because it's not just what we do, it's how we do it. So I want to say a couple of things about the practice of outreach, about what it is not, and then a couple of things about what it is. So first of all, the, the practice of outreach is not a church growth strategy. Now, I do believe that as we reach out to people, as we serve people, the church will grow. The church should grow. Because the church is always at its best when it is broken and poured out like Jesus is broken and poured out for us. When we serve in this way, it's very winsome. It will be attractive to people. But that's not the reason why we do this. Outreach is not a way to make a name for ourselves. It's not a sneaky way to get people to come to our thing. At the end of the day, it's not about us. It's about the people that we serve. Second, outreach as a practice is not a program. When we turn practices into programs, we suck all the vitality and life out of them. Now, programs are not bad. We, we have done and will continue to do programmatic things here at Discovery, but the practice of outreach, the spiritual discipline of service is not the same thing as, say, running a basketball league. Now, the practice can form us and shape us for running a basketball league, but again, they are not the same thing. So let me just reiterate that. Outreach is not a church growth strategy. It's not a program. Now let's move to the, the positive side of this. What is it? Outreach and service are about the orientation and posture of our hearts. 
And when we talk about hearts here, we're getting into the deep foundational places from which we live, the story from which we live. The practice of outreach places us in a posture towards others, and in doing so, it reveals the orientation of our hearts. Outreach service is the best tool we have to uncover our self-centeredness, to expose many of the idols that we have in our lives. When we serve, this is a crazy thing to say, but when we serve, we are most like God. God who exists in this eternal dance of self-giving love, this thing called the Trinity, three persons in one being, self-giving, sacrificial love that he extends and invites us into. When we serve, we are most like God. When we are selfish, we are most unlike God. This is why Jesus' example is so powerful. He serves his disciples, his messy and messed up disciples. These guys would abandon him in just a couple of hours after this moment. Peter, who is a central figure in this scene, is going to have a very public denial of Jesus a little while later. Judas, who is going to betray Jesus, Jesus still washes his feet. Jesus serves them anyway, not because he gets a big return on his investment, He serves them because he is love. And he loved them and he loved them to the end. Now, two invitations for us, two ways to kind of make this this practical for us, Uh, two ways to begin practicing the practice, as we like to say around here. One is to join us next week for Serve Sunday. And we alluded to this a moment ago in the announcements, but I want to say a few more things about this. Now, are we going to change the world on October 25th? Probably not, but we are going to take off that outer robe, wrap that towel around our waist, and we're going to stoop down and we're going to wash some feet. Metaphorically, maybe literally, who knows what will happen next week. (laughs) Now, all the details for this can be found on our app and website. We'll send them out in an email, but I want to say a little bit about some of the things that, that we are going to do. So we have a number of different options to engage with on Serve Sunday, on October 25th. Some of that is going to be cleaning up uh, the local park, community park, where, behind where we would normally meet on Sunday mornings in the Brunel Theater. Some of it is going to be preparing uh, care packages for our friends and neighbors. Some of that is going to be uh, preparing hygiene kits for uh, local ministry that, that meets the needs of some of our homeless friends. There will be opportunities to serve uh, a couple local businesses and, and just uh, show up and be a blessing to, uh, to some of those businesses here in Davis. There's also um, a bunch of sort of choose your own adventure options. If you're not able to do some of those things on the 25th or if that day doesn't work for you, our hope is that the week before or after you'd be able to do some of those other things. And one opportunity in particular that I want to highlight. For the past several years, there's been an interfaith effort to house Uh, people without homes during the winter months, October through March, and and that's usually happened through opening uh, church buildings. But given the restrictions uh, and the needed restrictions of the pandemic time, churches are not able to do that this winter. And so what has happened is different people have donated apartment buildings uh, that 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 program will be able to use during those winter months. And so the ask is for for us, for really anybody to to help uh, uh, furnish those apartments. There's a list 
that's available to you on our, again, webpage and our app, all of those locations. And you can go and see, you know, do I have some of these items? Can I go and purchase some of these items? Uh, there's instructions on, on who to email to set up a time to donate those things or drop those things off. But our hope is that by the end of November, those apartments will be fully furnished so that the, the people who will be living there this winter and engaging in this program will be able to have a furnished apartment during this time. Pretty cool opportunity for us to serve, uh, to serve our community in that way. So, Serve Sunday next week. Again, if you have questions about that, you can email our team that's in charge of this, streetteam at discoverydavis.org. Um, but all that information will be available uh, online, on our app, all that good stuff. Now, my second invitation, I want to close with this. And this is particularly in preparation for next Sunday because sometimes we have this impulse of like, ooh, the church is doing this big thing. That's the thing that I'm going to do. And we miss the essence of the practice. So my second invitation is this, as we prepare for Serve Sunday, over the course of this week to think about what is that thing in your house, in your living situation, that no one likes to do? That, that chore, that, that thing that just needs to get done, that tends to get overlooked, what's the foot washing thing for you in your day-to-day -day context? My challenge to you is to own that thing this week whatever it might be. Nathan Foster, who's the son of Richard Foster, remember I quoted him earlier. He, he, Richard Foster is, again, someone who's written extensively about spiritual disciplines. Nathan is his son, and, and as oftentimes happens, sons rebel against their dads, right? And so for a long time in his life, Nathan Foster just thought, oh man, these spiritual disciplines are whack. I don't want anything to do with this. But then as a, an adult, he comes back to them and he wrote a reflection on this. The book is called The Making of an Ordinary Saint. And the subtitle tells the whole story. My journey from frustration to joy with the spiritual disciplines. In his adult life, Nathan Foster is a social worker. And he says that of all the practices, the one that he thought he had down the best was service, was outreach, right? Because of his profession. But here's what he says. He says, serving at home is complicated because not only can it lack the accolades you might get elsewhere, right? The accolades you get as a social worker or as someone who serves people for a living, but you cannot fake it at home. Something feels, he says, countercultural about choosing to abandon my career aspirations in order to love and serve my family, disconnecting from work in order to be present at home. He says, men used to use bravery to hunt and fight. I use mine to do the dishes, to wash poop off the dog and carpool the kids. And then this is, this is the phrase I want us to hone in on here. I'm learning to not act like a martyr. True service does not create martyrs. To really practice this practice, there's, there's again things that we can do collectively as a church and they're beautiful and wonderful things, but to really practice this practice, it starts in your everyday life, in the mundane details of your everyday life, in the things that we don't necessarily want to do. Those are some of the most convicting words I have ever read in any book in my entire life. True service does not create martyrs. It creates little Jesuses. This is the invitation of this practice. 
once again, the words of Jesus, not that I, your Lord and teacher, now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you practice them. Let's pray. Father, this is a challenging, this is a challenging practice. Because as we've explored this, it does expose our, our hidden idols, our inherent selfishness, our desire to either be the, the center of attention or to be receiving certain affirmation, but this call to sacrifice, to love other people through service, through outreach, God, truly is radical because it takes all the attention off, off of us. It orients us towards others. It exposes the posture of our hearts. Would you give us hearts that reflect Jesus' heart? And would you teach us to love the way that he loved us, loving to the end, loving in these practical, messy ways, washing people's feet, And in doing so, pointing people towards your great love, your sacrificial, costly love towards us. God, thank you that you reached out to us. That we didn't need to to figure it out, get ourselves together in order for you to love us or want to be with us. That you reached out to us and served us by sending your son Jesus to be with us, to demonstrate your love for us, to die for us and to overcome the power of sin and death through his resurrection. God, we are so grateful for this. May we in some small way be a reflection of this good news to our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, at that same uh, moment, that same meal that Jesus washes his disciples' feet, he also sets for us this example of uh, communion. This meal that we celebrate every time we gather, sometimes called the Eucharist or the Lord's Supper. Jesus, for the first time, does this with his disciples in this time and then invites us to do this anytime we gather to remember him and what he has done for us. So I just want to read through this um, and then invite you to take your elements wherever you are, your living room, your backyard, wherever you might be. Find something, cracker and juice, bread and wine, whatever you have, and let's take communion together. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink from the the fruit of the vine from now until the day when I drink it new with you in the Father's kingdom. So when you're ready, as we sing these last couple songs together, as you have some time to reflect, think about the great love of God, the the outreach, the service that he has extended to us, and then take and eat the body and blood of Jesus.